You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. Let's not waste any time. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we're joined by Marty today. Marty, how you doing? I'm, yeah, let's just get on with it. Okay. <laughs> All right. I wanted to talk today about uh, insurrection, okay? Because I mean, it, it's it's quite clear that that's what we're seeing. We have yeah. armed gangs that have taken over part of the city of Seattle in the United States. They've taken over an eight block radius. We're going to get into that here in just a minute. I'm seeing now that Trump's thinking about invoking it. He's getting pushed back, and he like the Insurrection Act. I'm talking about that in the United States. We have this act on the books for a reason, okay? It's an act that was put together in 1807, and it's a federal law. It empowers the president of the United States to deploy the U.S. military and federalized National Guard troops, which since George W. Bush, I'm pretty sure since 9-11, they were reallocated under federal. Is that correct, Bruce? But they're still under the governor's discretion when needed. Um, I don't know about that, actually. I'm pretty sure I thought they were still uh, under the Governor, they're not federal. They're still under the state. Right. Thought, yeah, they're but still state, maybe, but they can be mobilized actually. at the federal level. I'm pretty sure that's why we sent them overseas. Yes and no. The governor is still able to call them back mm-hmm. technically. OK, well, anyway, regardless, this Insurrection Act of 1807, and I'm sitting here wondering why we're not seeing it, because, I mean, I put out this morning and we're going to get we're going to start out or start giving out our uh, our. Uh, yes, I'm going to say it, our social media information today so people can follow us on there, because this is as fast as this is moving. Right. I mean, there's more that we got to say throughout the day than just a 45 minute to an hour podcast. So. Like I was saying, Insurrection Act of 1807 in the U.S. under federal law, it empowers the president of the United States to deploy the U.S. military and federalized National Guard troops within the United States in particular circumstances. Hear what I'm about to say. These are the circumstances listed in the act to suppress civil disorder. Have we seen civil disorder in the last, I don't know, two weeks? Insurrection. Are we seeing insurrection and rebellion? We're going to see rebellion. We're seeing groups marching around with a mob mentality, tearing down our, our history, tearing down our statues right in front of us. Whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. It's history. That's how we learn, good or bad, especially the bad. The bad history should serve as more of a reminder to us. That's the point of it, because we have to know the worst of what we've done so that we can understand it to make sure that we don't go there again. But we have, I, I think I, I called them neo-Maoists running around uh, with this, this this sick, nihilistic, materialistic ideology of theirs because they, they went to some university and they got, they got radicalized because of, oh, well, this isn't the right system. You can't work in this system. This system, this system doesn't work for you because the system's been sold out. And they're too stupid to understand what that is. Anyway, moving right along. The act provides the major exception to the Posse Comitatus Act of 1878. Posse Comitatus, which is the act that prevents the policing of U.S. troops on U.S. soil, which limits the use of military personnel under federal command and law enforcement, excuse me, for, for law enforcement purposes in the United States. Before invoking the powers under the act, it requires the president to first publish a proclamation ordering the insurgents to disperse. Which at this point, 
He's he's made a call as of this morning, if I'm not mistaken. He's made a call, and, or it could have been last night. I'm not sure. Time difference. Just bear with me. But or he did say last night. He says he told the governor of the state of Washington. Who's the governor of the state of Washington? Exactly. Jay Inslee, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee. He's told him that you need to take back your city, or he's going to take it upon himself. Trump is to do it for him. His exact quote, I believe, was take back your city, stop being weak and take back your city or I will. And I think that that's to be completely honest with you. This is my opinion. This is my opinion. These are the states that I said that were going to be under economic siege. You have the Trojan horses within in the United States, in these state houses, in these mayor's offices, in these city council offices that are actively working against we the people. That's their purpose. They're compromised. They've been taken over. They're sellouts. They're traitors. They're scum. That's who these people are. They're now trying to put Trump in a position. Now, forget what you think about Trump. It doesn't matter. We're talking about we're talking about what needs to be done here before this continues to get more out of control, because this is how it's going to be done. They're pushing. They're pushing. You've got armed gangs that have taken over an eight block radius in the city of Seattle, and they've proclaimed that it's now seceded from the United States. So the governor, is Governor Inslee doing this on purpose? I, I'm asking, I'm asking, is Governor Inslee doing this on purpose to try and force the hand of the U.S. president to act that way they can turn around? Because the media gives it cover. The media gives it cover. The the insurrection, they give it cover. They, they talk about how peaceful it is and how loving it is and how it's, it's great for change and it's great for reform. I went over that yesterday. These people talk about change and reform. They know nothing about change and reform. They have no plan. The purpose of this act, it empowers the U.S. president to call into service U.S. armed forces and the National Guard when requested by a state legislature or governor if the legislature cannot be convened to address an insurrection against that state. I would argue at this point that that's what we're starting to see to address an insurrection in any state, which makes it impractical to enforce law. They have driven the people that have taken over the part of the city have driven out law enforcement. They forced them out. They're now running the show in there. They're saying that they're the law and order. To address an insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, or conspiracy in any state which results in the deprivation of constitutionally secured rights, they've supposedly seceded, therefore there are no constitutional rights in there, that's how I'm interpreting it, and where the state is unable, fails, or refuses to protect said rights, hence the governor doing nothing. Okay, that's my opening. I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of rambling here. I do apologize, gentlemen. Obviously, it's not my country, and my opinion is is only worth so much. But I think all the things you've just said, if 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 what is happening in the city of Seattle is happening, and you've got this eight block area under the control of armed people. Who, have, who are stating that they've seceded from the US, then you've got a clear act of sedition, insurrection. And yeah, the Trump, the president, is being forced into a situation that no president would want. These laws that have been in place for a long time, talking 200 years, no one's actually had to act on them within the US, have they? They've never been they might have been on the statute books, but they've never been acted upon before. It's not happened. Correct. You correct me. Correct. So uh, no, I correct. thought it was used twice. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Yes, I, okay. I believe it's. I believe it's been put in. I'm sorry. Invocations of the act. Oh boy, that's a lot. Okay, there has been. Hold on. There has been. Are you sitting down? 
I'm yeah. going to stand corrected here because I've never heard of that being enacted. Now, that's probably because at the time I just wasn't politically aware or paying attention or any of that stuff. But according to what I'm seeing, this act has been invoked 20 separate times since its inception okay. in 1807. Um, um, and what's the, the, the date of the last time it was invoked? May 1st, 1992, George Herbert Walker Bush, which would be the last Bush would be his father, uh, invoked it in Los Angeles County, California, due to the 1992 Los Angeles riots uh, with, with Rodney riots, King. Yeah. yeah, the LA riots. Yeah, okay. And so there you've got large-scale rioting. We've got a similar setup in the UK, especially within the military. You've, you've all heard the expression, I'm going to read you the riot act. Have you? Do, do you use that in Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you read the riot act. Yep. So, so reading the riot act is the first part, which is that warning to stop and desist and to return to your homes before the military goes in to take control. You know, I honestly don't remember because, again, it's not my country. I, I didn't think these, the, the full extent of these uh, laws had ever been fully enacted or, or you know, invoked. But clearly they have. But I still imagine that Donald Trump doesn't want to be the next person to do so. And there's been this phrase going around in my head, and I've, I've used it in a couple of discussions I've had with people in the last seven days, which is the government gets blamed, government gets changed. So the whole setup at the moment seems to be, especially from the biased media, and let's, let's face it, there's both biases within media, but mm -hmm. the majority, the ones that people are paying attention to is the left-wing liberal media, which are blaming governments. My government here in the UK for the way it's handled COVID and now for the way in which it's handling the Black Lives Matters you know, protests, which have included the desecration of our war memorials and statues. And then you've got, in the US, you've got the government being blamed for systemic racism within police forces, which are actually all run by their own states and counties, not by, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, not, not by the federal system. But it's all media blaming government in order to force that government into a corner where there'll be resignations. And the way I described it in conversations this week, it's like having a, a boa constrictor looped around your chest. Every time you breathe out, that's a politician resigning or being sacked, the grip tightens slightly, and that's a bad actor, politician, or an unwitting puppet being put into post to replace the politician that's been sacked or resigned. So just about everything we're seeing at the moment is all about making politicians who are not what this movement wants it's, it's about forcing them to resign or having them removed so that they can be replaced with people that these groups of movements uh, actually want in power. So it's a, an undemocratic way of getting an, a politician into office. That's, that's what I'm seeing at the moment with all of this. So I don't blame, or rather I have a certain element of sympathy with Donald Trump and even some of these state governors because they don't want to be the ones to, to bring the full force of the law and the full might of the US military down upon its own people. They just don't want They should do it because this kind of thing needs to be nipped in the bud. 
and a stitch in time saves nine. So if it's taken care of quickly in Seattle with minimum bloodshed, but and, and the way to do that is to, is to use maximum boots on the ground, maximum force for minimum bloodshed, just to stop it and then restore law and order. You've got a, a, a political and legal system in which everybody should be able to to operate. I mean, fair enough, the legal mm-hmm. systems, both of your country and my country, are very expensive things. If you want to use them, you know, the guy with the best lawyer tends to get the best result. Mm-hmm. But they're there. That's the system that is set up. As you said in your introduction, the people who are driving this don't want that system anymore. They want to change the system. And just before I shut up and let Bruce talk, or you carry on, Johnny, a little while ago, just a few days ago, there were armed groups protesting about the COVID-19 lockdowns. And this kind of mention of the insurrection laws and amendments weren't even talked about, were they? Yet it was still an armed, legally, they were all legal gun owners, they were protesting with open carry. What's the difference between what they did, taking over state buildings, and what these protesters in Seattle are doing? What What is the difference? Okay, well, well let me address... Hang on just a second. Let me address one thing and then I'll let you go, Bruce. Let me, let me address one thing. First of all, you said, uh, and like I said, I'll just make this one point. You said it's not your country. I value your opinion. You know, I, I appreciate your take on things. And so this is where I'm at with it. You know, I, I've said that I, I, I kind of follow the, the marching mantra of we the people. We the people. I've never taken that to mean just Americans, because I'll tell you something, brother, we're all in this together, right? What's happening in your country? What's happening in my country? I don't care where you come from. I don't care where you come from. We have to remain united on this because we're all under attack by the same filth. So it doesn't matter where you're from. I don't care if you're German. I don't care if you're Italian. I don't care if you're Dutch, if you're French, if you're Spanish, if you're British, if you're Canadian, American. We're all in this together. Australian even. I don't care. If you're Western, we're in this together. We'll sort the rest of it out later. So go ahead, Bruce. So to answer your questions on um, specifically, what's the difference? Um, well, first of all, the people that the media says stormed the uh, government buildings for the COVID protests, the lockdown protests, they didn't storm it. What they ended up doing was they coordinated with law enforcement to notify them, hey, they, we're going to have protests on these days, these times. We're going to have people here that are going to have, you know, firearms and whatnot. Like they cleared everything with police first and then they peacefully keyword peaceful, protest the lockdowns. And, you know, law enforcement involved, the narrative that the media was saying is these were violent protests, these were crazy radicals and all this kind of stuff, right? The narrative was, this is bad. And that's largely what most of the media talked about, you know, except for more of the conservative ones. And then these protests, quote unquote, that are currently going on now are riots. You have literally have reporters standing in front of a burning building where rioters are destroying stuff around him saying these are mostly peaceful protests. The, you you see cop cars being burned, you see cops being hit by bricks, people being beaten. This is not peaceful. This is an insurrection. This is where we need to, you know, enact the the insurrection act. But, you know, there's there's also politicians and whatnot that are showing their true colors in all of this. Well, yeah. The reason I ask the question is not because I have any sympathy one way or another, uh, although actually I do, 
it was to make the distinction between what happened with the open carry protests about COVID lockdowns, which were peaceful, and the reason they were peaceful was because the people protesting were more than ready to take on, you know, counter-protesters, but were working with the police. They, they were working hand in glove with law enforcement to make sure that it was a peaceful protest. I still think it was probably one of the more extreme forms of protest because there wasn't a lot, you know, if you, if you look at even at state level, committing enough law enforcement officers to overwhelm that kind of protest probably wouldn't have been possible with that many people armed and protesting. Now we've got the situation in Seattle where you've got armed people taking over whole blocks and and declaring them no longer part of the US. Washington hasn't got the, um, in Seattle, don't have the police force big enough to take care of that problem. The only answer can be the National Guard, the US military. And I appreciate what you said, Johnny, about us all being in it together. I totally agree with you, we are. But because I'm not an American citizen, I've spent some time in your country, but not you know, prolonged, prolonged periods. My opinion and my views are, are, are those of an outsider looking in. And, and I wouldn't want anyone to think I was any kind of expert on what's happening in the U.S. You know, you make an interesting point there. And I mean, obviously, I'm a U.S. citizen, you know, born and raised. And I, I've been outside of it for, you know, a few years now. And that doesn't mean, obviously, that uh, th- that I'm not a patriot. I'm, I mean, I love my country. You guys hear how much it bothers me to sit up here and, and talk about this stuff. But, you know, I get you said it the, last week. I give it that level of passion because I care. And the point I'm trying to make about that is, is though you have that stance about it, uh, about yourself, sometimes, and I actually, believe it or not, I heard this once from an Australian, and that Australian immigrated to the United States, obviously from Australia. What does he do now? He goes around the entire country and he teaches through his own foundation that he formed once he got to the United States. He goes around the entire country and he teaches elementary school teachers how to teach the traditional ways of the original founders, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, those types of things, prints up pocket constitutions to give to teachers to give out to their students. My point to that is, is that sometimes, and this is what the man said, and I, and I will never forget this, sometimes what it takes is an outside view to actually shine light onto what you need to see because living there over time makes you forget those things. You become decadent. You become uh, complacent. You become unable to see what got you there in the first place. So sometimes it does take that outside view to be able to bring attention to those particular ideas that uh, that are actually the best thing for you. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point and and it and I believe what you've just said is true that sometimes when an outsider does give their opinion, it gives those people who are deeply involved right down in the weeds of it all a chance to just take a step back and have a think about the situation. So, yeah, thanks. I I'm I'm <laughs> I'm happy to go on in that vein if that's what you want from me. Thank you. We're all in this together, man. I don't I don't care. Like I said, country, we'll, we'll sort that out later, man. We need to put that stuff aside. I've been saying this for years. We, we need to put that stuff aside. I don't care where you're from. 
right? If you're Western, you believe in Western values. Western civilization is under attack as we speak. They don't care what country you're from. They don't care if you're German. They don't care if you're English. They don't care if you're Scottish. They don't care if you're Irish, American, Canadian, none of it. They don't care. Their goal is the complete and utter destruction of the entire Western civilization itself. The two countries that are under the biggest attack right now are the United States and the United Kingdom. Why? Go back 100 years ago. The two most powerful nations on this planet 100 years ago were who? The United States and the United Kingdom. We were disconnected from the problems of the rest of the world, be it mainland Europe or you know, with the conflicts that they had or the problems in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, all of it. We were disconnected from all that. We were great in and of ourselves. The fact that the UK was a landmass and is a landmass in and of itself before the days of the tunnel allowed them to turn their attention inward and build their great, great societies up, respectively, to how they needed it. So the issue here is the two systems are now beginning to start the breakaway process from that again. Globalization has failed. It's failed on its face, and they know it. I'm talking about when I say they, and we need to be specific, I'm talking about organizations like the UN who's now pushing forward, organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that are pushing forward, organizations like the World Health Organization that are pushing forward, other individuals, finance capital, guys like George Soros that are mixed in there in the midst of all this, past presidents, past prime ministers, past chancellors, past presidents of foreign nations in Europe, all are mixed in in all this. And so- Are we tying the central banks in there as well? Absolutely. They're at the heart. They're at the beating heart of all this. I mean, we can go That's there. Sure. You you want to tie in the ECB? You want to tie in the... Oh, yeah. You, you want to tie all that stuff in? I'm all in on central banks, man. I can't stand those people. But... I mean, that's a, that's a monetary problem in and of itself. I mean, they've, you know, they've largely financed all this stuff. But the fact is, is that we are under, we're under a cultural attack. That's what's happening. Wars of the future are not going to be kinetic. They're going to be economic. They're going to be biological. They're going to be cyber. You're seeing the first great war of the new century, the new era. This is a problem that should have been cleaned up in the last century, but we didn't do it. You know, we kind of privately had this conversation earlier today, Marty, for a couple of minutes. This is an old yeah. problem. Th this is an old problem. And so now you're seeing these people out themselves and show who they really are. Anyway, let's jump over to the UK. Lots been going on over there. Like I said, we're, we're all in this together. Let's start with the, uh, the BLM that toppled a statue in Bristol of the slave trader Edward Colston. Let's, let's talk about that. So um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And I've got some other stuff we can uh, talk about here as well, but let's just start there. When you've got movements like BLM and Antifa, if you give them targets, give them easy targets, they score easy victories. Behind the, the front message of Black Lives Matter, I'm 100% behind that. I believe that there, there does need to be something done globally uh, you know, about racism. That's a longer discussion. But we gave them an easy target with this statue. I wish that the local government had have removed that statue and put it somewhere for you know, history to bear witness to or to pe for people to see history with enough information there to say this man got fabulously wealthy through the slave trade. He built a lot of Bristol. He built up the, um, you know, the whole infrastructure there. But it, it was done on the backs of slaves. And I agree that the statue should have come down, but I wish that it had been the, the authorities that took the statue down 
and put it in the museum, which I believe is now where it sits, rather than it be an easy target and an easy victory for organisations like Black Lives Matter and Antifa to score points and gain momentum from. That's my take on it. The statue should go, but I'd rather that it had been done by the local authority than these groups. You've got guys that have come out now, ones which, by the way, I agree with you. If you want to take something down, go through the process, right? Go get your petition. I mean, we, we've talked about the, the way of, that you go through the amendment process to amend discrepancies in society and government structure. We have amendment processes for reasons. Go out, get your signatures, take them to the local council. We have the same process in the States. Take them to the local council. Let them put it up on the docket. They discuss it at the council meeting. If it needs to be escalated, it gets escalated to the state level, period. End of story. That simple. How, how difficult is that? No, you, you people have to go out and act like a bunch of thugs and tear history down because you know nothing. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Well, well uh, no, on, on that, though, if the, the, I think the reason that the local authority, the local council, hadn't done it is because they, they already knew they, they were aware that this man's wealth was immoral. The statue might be there, and it serves as a reminder uh, of history. And because we do live in egalitarian society, there are no disadvantages based on your skin color in this country. There might be people who, who are racist and are not nice to each other, but that's a two-way street. That works regardless of what color, race, or creed you are. There are always one group or another that dislikes each other and, you know, abuses people verbally, usually, sometimes physically. So going back on the greater balance of it, we live in an egalitarian society. So the local authority probably thought, why? Why bother take it down? Everything's fine. I would rather they, without a petition, I would rather they had have gone, actually, yeah, let's take that down, put something else more suitable up in its place something a bit more about tolerance, love and understanding rather than, oh, look how fabulously well I am and I did it on the back, did it on the back of slaves. Um, because if they'd have done it themselves, then these organizations wouldn't have scored the points that they have. So this week, Nigel Farage, we've talked about him before. This week he's come out and he has said that, and I'm quoting here, this is a this is a quote from his Twitter feed. He says, a new form of, and he's speaking of uh, the mobs in the streets. He's talking about these factions that are working to, in other words, transform Western civilization into a Marxist uh, dystopia. And he's saying that, this is his actual quote, a new form of the Taliban was born in the UK today. Unless we get moral leadership quickly, our cities won't be worth living in. He tweeted that on Sunday as rioters destroyed the statues, attacked police officers, and looted businesses. Now, in this, I'm also seeing people that are going up burning Union Jack flags. They're throwing the bicycles at police horses. They're hitting police horses with bricks. I mean, you, you guys certainly have to have some type of a... I mean, we, we talked about the Insurrection Act for America, and I, I wanted to kind of you know, see if you had something equivalent in the UK to deal with this type of behavior, because that right there, that's unacceptable to me. And not, ju not just because of the, the police, that's bad in, in and of itself, but I'm an animal lover. And, and you start beating up uh, animal... I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. You're a piece of trash. You, you, get, you get slapped down when you do something like that. I mean, that, that's just my, my take on it, because that's my own personal feeling about uh, about animals. You know, I've got a, a soft spot in my heart for animals. So 
what are your uh, what what are your laws in the UK regarding this type of behaviour uh, as it relates to what the Insurrection Act is in the US, or do you have such a thing? Right. Obviously, the United States of America are United States. You've got a federal system, and therefore you've got these different sets of laws, state law, federal law. We haven't. We're a sovereign nation. And the government haven't got to worry about, was it posse comitati? They haven't got to worry about that. They can put the military straight in if it needs be. Obviously, it has to be put through parliament, and I believe the, the monarch has to sign off on it as well. But under the circumstances, at the moment, it's manageable without it. If we had, you know, widespread gun ownership in the country, such as you have in the United States of America, we'd be at that same state now because those protesters, some of them might be armed or the counter-protesters might have gone in armed. But as it is, it's bottles, bricks and placards that they're fighting with. Oh, and Boris bikes, which is what they rolled at the police horse which is disgraceful. I've got friends who are going to London at the weekend. For reasons I can't go into on here, I won't be with them, although it absolutely kills me that I can't be there to stand in front of our national monuments and our war memorials to prevent any vandalism and damage being done to them by these, air quotes, protesters. But I've got friends who are going to be there this weekend when they start to, isn't it terribly civilized that they, you know, they wait from Saturday to Saturday to riot and, and cause trouble and protest? You know, if if these fakes were as serious about it as as they make out and that they virtue signal, they'd be at it twenty four seven, wouldn't they? Not oh, we'll wait until next weekend to do it again. But anyway, I digress. People are going to protest at the weekend, and people are going to peacefully protect the monuments that last weekend were attacked and damaged. I mean, someone actually daubed fascist and Churchill was a racist on the Churchill statue. Churchill was the man who stood against the Nazi um, war machine in the Second World War. When it was unpopular, Um, by the way. When it was unpopular. Exactly. Um, uh, he stood against fascism. If you go back far enough in history, and you don't have to go that back, back that far, everybody had a slight racist edge to their, uh, well, just their general way of thinking. The civil rights movement in the US went a very long way to reversing that. The end of apartheid in South Africa went a long way to reversing that global white racism. The black racism still exists. There's still black people who absolutely despise white people. There's still tribal hatred, which again is a racism in Africa and in the Middle East. You've got these kinds of tensions right the way across the world. But the only thing that gets called racist is when a white person appears to disadvantage or abuse someone from another ethnicity other than white. But racism is is a very broad church, and there are many, many different types of racism. Churchill may, by today's standards, have been considered a racist, but by the standards of his day and age, he was not. And he certainly wasn't a fascist, and his memory doesn't deserve to be besmirched 
by these protesters. You make some fantastic points, by the way. Yes, you're, you're correct about uh, Churchill specifically. I mean, at the time when he was opposed to it, and I mean, he was a staunch anti-fascist. Of course he was. And at the time, a lot of Britons at the time in the parliament were like, yeah, no, just leave him alone. You know, let them do their thing. You know, we don't want to get involved in that. And he said, no, this is something we need to seriously look at. And no one listened to him. And you had the guys, you know, his predecessor, uh, Neville Chamberlain, who was the ultimate appeaser. You know, it was just it was disgusting, really. Yeah. But in our time, waving the bit of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Waving the piece of paper off the plane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Nice mustache, though. Right. But. Oh, yeah. um, Farage, who made the comparison to calling the the mobs in the streets the new Taliban, it's brought him under a bit of fire. You know, he's the latest casualty uh, of the uh, the cancel culture. Yeah, I went on to a bit of a rant, uh, and I totally forgot that you'd started the conversation, or this part of the conversation, with the uh-huh. piece about Nigel Farage. Uh-huh. I've stated my general opinion of Nigel Farage in the past. I did not like the way that he left UKIP and moved on. And once the referendum had been conducted and it came out as leave, he just kind of washed his hands of the whole thing and got on with his life. Mm. Um, It may be that he knew that he had a limited amount of time to make the most of his insider knowledge as an MEP to make, you know, a few more million before the novelty wore out. He kept going at LBC, and I did, I've never listened to a whole one of his shows because, as I've said to you before, I don't want to listen to someone who's preaching to the converted. I'd rather listen to the baloney that's coming out of James O'Brien on LBC, and so I know what the enemy's thinking. If he's left because he's made this statement and LBC uh, have chosen not to continue his contract, then LBC are making a mistake. Now, if you look at their their daily schedule, you've got facile rubbish in the early morning, followed by Nick Ferrari, which is conservative, right-wing capitalist in its bias. Then you've got James O'Brien, who, who is liberal, illiberal, New World Order. Then you've got Sheila Fogarty, who's a slightly more acceptable face of liberal leftism. And then in the evenings, you had Farage. Now they've got no balance. It was all bias, quick, bias, bias, bias. Quick question. Now there's no Just, balance. Quick question. Since you, I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you. I do apologize. But d- since, since you were naming off all those hosts, doesn't Mayor Khan also have his own show on there? I thought he did. No, what, what Khan does is he guests on O'Brien's show okay. on okay. a few occasions. All right. I thought he had his own show. Uh, I, I do apologize. I just want, because you're uh, naming off all those people, which I, I've listened to. I mean, I, I've listened to yeah. a full day of LBC from time to time. And you know, just to get a take on, on English politics, I love English politics just because, just because it's the nature of your system. It's just, it's fascinating to me. But I thought he had his own show. I, I'm sorry. Go on. Continue. I'm going to have to double check. But as far as I'm aware, he occasionally guests on the station. There, there's another one. I can't remember his name now. He, he's um, a British Pakistani guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Nawaz Azir. And Could be. again, he's on that liberal leftist standpoint as well. So by removing someone like Farage from the station, those viewpoints, those things that they put out for discussion have, have swung further left again because they, they've lost one of the, the right-wing conservative 
presenters. I'm thankful to Farage for for what he's what he did within the uh, European Parliament as an MEP, but I find it a little bit hypocritical the way in which he is outrightly criticising the current government whilst he wasn't prepared to stand for the ninth time, because he stood eight times unsuccessfully, to be elected as a British MP. If he'd have stood in that last election in any of the Brexit party you know, positions as a candidate for the Brexit party, I'm pretty sure he would have got elected, but he didn't. And, and so he's outside of Parliament. He's had that influence inside the European Parliament. But now he's just throwing dirt at the government, casting shade. Mm-hmm. And he's right in what he says about these groups. The way he describes them, that's exactly what they are, in my opinion. I but think I might he, I might have another yeah, I might well, I see where you're going. I think I might have another take on this and it, but we'll get to that in a second because it's it's an interesting point you bring up and I think I know what he's doing. Reading about political strategies and things like that. I, I think I know what he's up to. But I'll talk about that in a second. But the LBC since they've uh, released him, they uh they put out a tweet this morning and they or excuse me, actually it was a few hours ago this afternoon. And they said that this is from their Twitter feed. Nigel Farage's contract with LBC is up very shortly, and following discussions with him, Nigel is stepping down from LBC with immediate effect. We thank Nigel for the enormous contribution he has made to LBC, and we wish him well. Now, the clash actually that actually set this on obviously was the uh, the initial comments that he made in a statement just the other day, talking about how there's a new form of Taliban that's emerged in in the cities in the UK with all these protesters. He clashed with good old Pierce Morgan, right? Uh, the uh, I, 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 You know, I really don't like that guy. I, I didn't like him when he was in the US. And we always thought, you know what, you guys can have him back. And he just won't shut up. He, he just won't go away. But he had a clash with Pierce Morgan on Good Morning Britain over BLM this week. And Farage declared about uh, he was talking about uh, Black Lives Matter, the, the the group that's out there protesting in the streets. He says Black Lives Matter. This is this is Farage's quote. Black Lives Matter is a far left Marxist organization that wants to abolish the police and dismantle capitalism. That won't change just because four other panelists tried to shout down the truth on Good Morning Britain this morning. So this particular comment, along with what he said about comparing them to a new form of the Taliban, has prompted this with all of this. And now your friend, James O'Brien, has come out this afternoon and said just this on his Twitter feed, which I'm sure you've probably already seen if you follow him on Twitter, says we got our station back just by him saying that, you know, now that's of course it's been, you know, you said that they've made a grave mistake by removing that diversity from that from the political point of view from well, the that station just shows the, Yeah, that just shows the arrogance of James O'Brien, his station. And, and by that, he means liberal leftist sheeple because he can't cope. James O'Brien really cannot cope with sound reasoning from a different standpoint than his own. The man cannot cope with good counter arguments. That's why he he encourages uh, an army of sycophants that call him and allow him to virtue signal all day. Of course, he lets one or two people on. Some of them are chosen because they are going to make a fool of themselves. Others, when he finds that he's he's not making a fool of the individual, he uses the cutoff button to end their input and then talks over them and ridicules them. He's not a nice man. He is part of the problem. So his arrogance in saying what he said doesn't surprise me. And it just makes me all the more convinced that I'm right about the man. Have you addressed why Farage was let go? 
I'm of the opinion, just by seeing what I'm seeing, I, it's my understanding that he was let go because of those comments. That That's my understanding. Is that is that not the case? Which, wait, wait, which comment? Sorry, I, I've been digging through other stuff, so I've... He said did, did you, initially, initially his comments on uh, comparing the protesters in the streets, essentially the ones that are going out, smashing up the statues and throwing them in rivers and stuff. Uh, he's comparing that to the new form of Taliban in the cities. And he's okay, also compared yeah. Black Lives Matter to a far left Marxist organization that aimed to abolish yeah, okay. police and dismantle capitalism. Is that why they let him go? Or is, are you saying there's something different yeah. there? No, that's that's why I, I was just okay. making sure that that was that was hit on. Because that's kind of an important. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 sure. The, the analogy that is used, you know, the Taliban, obviously, because everyone is so nervous about saying anything Islamophobic, even when criticizing organizations like the Taliban, uh, particularly when you're the owner of a radio station, it's no wonder. Uh, I've got a funny feeling that he wanted his contract to be up because obviously he'll be paid to the end of it anyway, and maybe he's got other things that he needs to do uh, and can't dedicate five days a week, six days a week to his radio job. So maybe he wanted to go because politicians are guarded most of the time and they only say what they mean just before they go and spend more time with their family. I've said that before. So maybe this is purely a suspicion of mine that he might have done it deliberately. Are either of you familiar with this? Is this is to the point of the Taliban and and him his comparison? Are either of you familiar with the Syrian Kurds and what yes. happened there? So the basically the Syrian Kurds came in and stole a portion of Syria and turned it into a Marxist nation or country, more or less yeah. what the rioters are trying to do in Portland. So comparing these riots all over that are happening all over the world, mind you, as the new Taliban, I think, is accurate. Well, it's not just that, is it? Within Afghanistan, Afghanistan in the days of the Shah, yes, there was huge injustices. No doubt there was reason for the country to rebel. However, it was quite an advanced, you know, well-educated society. And a lot of things were just torn down. Anything mm -hmm. that was, you know, typical of the West or decadent in the Taliban's eyes was torn down and destroyed. With ISIS, you know, ancient sites were destroyed by ISIS fighters. We're talking things that are about 10,000 years old were mm -hmm. smashed to pieces. So when you have an organization in, in a place like the UK demanding that certain statues be removed and things torn down and history re rewritten to a certain extent, then they're behaving exactly like the Taliban and ISIS. So I think his his comment was accurate, mm -hmm. but ultimately, whether he intended it to or not, it has cost him the job at LBC. You had said there that he, he'd stood for PM, what was it, eight times, or he's had eight chances to do it and he hasn't done it. Is, is that what you said? Uh, he stood for to be a member of parliament, not PM, PM's prime okay. minister. Right, right, right. Um, I believe eight times unsuccessfully. Okay. Now, because you, and you, it, it, yeah, sorry. You, and you're quite confident. You think that if he would have stood for PM this last time, obviously, with I mean, or running as as the Brexit party, if he would have pushed, you think that 
he would have actually made it. Now, let me, I have a way I'm going with this. Uh-huh. He's giving, I think he's, ta- and I'm saying this because of what he's done in the past. I think he's taking the stance that he's taking because of what he did with Brexit. Now, and what, what, what do I mean by that? He said that after Brexit was accomplished, after it was done, then he was going to step aside from politics and go back to his life. He was going to, he says, I'm going to give the conservatives a chance, give the Tories a chance to, to finish this off. And apparently they didn't do it and they didn't do it fast enough or whatever it was. So he came back, he left UKIP, he came back with the Brexit party, didn't stand, but in the sense, and as crazy as it was, obviously they didn't win a seat, but the job of the Brexit party in the election of Boris Johnson, I think, was a success. They were successful and they pulled enough votes away from Labour to secure a Tory victory and a majority. So they were successful in that fact, even though obviously they didn't win what they wanted to win. But I think that they did in in the long term. And when I say the long term, I'm talking about what we're seeing now. And like I said, this is just my my mind working here because I, I've studied politics, I've studied political strategy, and I think this is what he's doing. He's giving the Tory government, which is a majority under Boris Johnson, a chance to deal with this problem. And if it fails, people are going to be upset with the Tories again, and they will not vote for Tories again. They won't vote for Labour either because Labour is probably, I, for God's sake, Labour supports this stuff by and large. Yeah. So well, okay. if he yeah. if he stands, if he stands, just so just so I finish round off my point here, and you're you can have the rest of the time. If he stands after this, if he comes out and he parades and campaigns on a point to look, both parties have failed. Obviously, the Lib Dems. I mean, you know, they're they're a lost cause. SNP doesn't stand a chance when it comes to Westminster. So could he play the long game on this and be successful and be the PM long game playing a long game? I see, I see why your train of thought would lead you in that direction. But no, I actually think he's one of the few people who've had success stand fast the eight failed attempts to become a member of parliament for the British parliament. He's had great success, but he enjoys good life, a day's fishing, a nice beer, all those things that a British man, a British middle class man of his wealth and stature, you know, are entitled to enjoy. So I don't think he's got any of those great aspirations. He might want to help a few friends out, but now I'm concerned because what you just described him doing is giving them a chance to fail. And if they fail, there's the exhalation, which is the getting rid of politicians, making them resign, having them sacked. And then when you get tightened on again by the snake, you've got new politicians in who might be new world order puppets. So mm-hmm. is Farage on that side of the game? Because we just don't know, do we? These people are pretty clever. The network is extensive and it's so easy to conceal yourself uh, in plain sight as to, to what your real intentions are. But with Farage, I think he likes the sound of his own voice, as do we, otherwise we wouldn't do this. And he just likes to be involved. I think he's a patriot. I hope he is. And I hope I'm totally wrong about my suspicion about being part of the problem. And so, yeah, he probably is giving Boris and the Conservatives a chance. He could have, or rather the Brexit party could have contested more of the seats in the UK and won places in Parliament. But it was kind of a, um, 
you know, like you say, they did their job. They took votes away from Labour because the Labour voters couldn't possibly vote Tory. And so if they had to vote something, they'd vote for the Brexit party, which allowed the Tories to take advantage in those marginal seats where they were, where it could have swung either way. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of... I'm, I'm waffling a lot there, so I'll, I'll shut up now. I, I recently came across something else, and we'll, we, can kind of, uh, we can kind of round off after this one. Now, the, uh, the protesters are headed down to London, and this is, uh, this is a now a target of theirs. I'm going to speak on this because I have a bit of a relation with the individual that's now in question and now being targeted by these protesters, shall we say. A statue in London of Scout founder Baden-Powell to be taken down in Britain. So a local authority in southern England said it would remove a statue of Robert Baden-Powell, founder of the worldwide scouting movement, the latest memorial to be taken down in wake of anti-racism protests sparked by the death of George Floyd. Explain to me, explain to me how removing a statue of someone that founded Boy Scouts has anything to do with someone being unjustly killed by a police officer in another country. Explain that one to me. You know, I was a Boy Scout. I grew up learning that stuff. I, Marty, I don't know. Were you a Boy Scout? Were you, were you ever a Boy yeah, Scout? Yeah, I was a Cub and a Scout. Yeah. I st- so was I. I stayed in a campsite on a Boy Scout reservation in a campsite named Baden-Powell when I was a kid growing up. And so on top of that, he was a British war hero to boot. And so what in the hell does this have to do with any of that? See, it's not about it's it's not about that. That, That's the point I'm trying to make here is it's not about that at all. This stopped being about George Floyd. It's about pulling down the Western way of life. Exactly. uh, Discrediting our values and our role models. Do you know what? They dig deep. Like I said earlier on. In a certain time and a certain age, levels of inherent racism, or at least the way we thought about other races, it was different. Things have changed. Things have changed in the last 60, 70 years, and things have got progressively better. However, there's still those underlying elements that could perhaps be improved on or could be improved on. Let's not pussyfoot about There are areas that we could all improve on as far as how we treat each other race to race. Baden-Powell, I don't know this for certain. I've got no categorical proof. All I've heard is whispers. He had admiration for nationalistic ways of politics. You know, he he believed in people being self-sufficient. He probably had all kinds of eugenic ideas as well, but I've got no proof of that. But at the end of the day, the scouting movement is a worldwide movement started by Baden-Powell and his sister, and it's it's taught morals and values and skills to millions, hundreds of millions probably, uh, of boys and girls since it started. Mm -hmm. So I'm perfectly willing to say that he should be held up as a as a role model and his statue should remain and i think it's it's criminal that it's going to come down you know so this is the taliban this is the taliban that farage is talking about uh-huh. they're tearing down our way of life statue by statue, memorial by memorial. When will it stop? It's got to stop somewhere. You have to stop the rot somewhere. And I think it should stop with this one. Where will it stop? That's the question. Where is it going to stop? As of today, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, you know, that... uh... (laughs) 
<laughs> that piece of trash. She now wants 11 Confederate statues removed from the U.S. Capitol. So where does it end? Where does it end? I mean, they're calling for monuments of the Washington Monument. They'll tear down the Washington Monument in, in, in D.C. You watch. They'll tear down everything. They will tear it all down until there's nothing left. You ask where it ends. It ends. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you what. It ends when you stop appeasing them. That's when it ends. And so it's time for an insurrection act to be invoked. What are we waiting on? I have it in the back of my head that I think I know why the strategy is being played out, but I, I, I hope that that's what it is. But at the same time, how much longer do we wait? Do we continue to appease these people? Appeasing, capitulating, that's not going to get you anywhere with this. These people are not in the business of talking or making deals. They want an end to Western civilization, period. I don't care where you're from. I don't care if you're English. I don't care if you're German. I, you know, I, I'm not going to say it all again. But we, the people, are the only thing that stand in between this and total destruction of our way of life. That's it. That's that's not that that's not an opinion. That's a fact. We don't have time to sit here and play footsie with this any longer. And so it's time for us to stand for our convictions. That's all I had. You guys are welcome to make any closing points you'd like. After you, Bruce, my friend, I've monopolized the time again. I honestly, I, I don't have much to add. I'm I'm on board with, I, I was trying to find some polls on uh, how many people are for enacting the Insurrection Act and I'm, I'm seeing conflicting polls and not seeing the in-depths of, of what the numbers are, but more or less, uh, they're saying 50%. 58% of the American people are for the Insurrection Act uh, or invoking it to quell the riots. Uh, that specific poll was, <laughs> that was at the beginning of the riots, geez. So I imagine it's probably even higher. Personally, Insurrection Act, let's do it. The people that are in the president's cabinet right now, in circle influence, if you will, we're seeing the ones that are against it are coming out and, you know, not supporting him and whatnot. If he invokes it, we'll see even more. It'll 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 flush him out, and uh, I I think they they should do it. Just because an old person or somebody uh, a long time ago said something doesn't make it instantly right. However, that quote from Jefferson was it about the um, the tree of liberty mm -hmm. needing to be watered on a regular basis with the blood of traitors and patriots. Patriots and tyrants. Patriots and tyrants. So that was a Freudian slip of the tongue from an Englishman. But it's okay. It was an Englishman who said it. It was an Englishman who said correct. it. That's so correct. Was... We're learning from each other all the time. Look, I don't want this to happen, but I think it's necessary to happen. I think it needs to be done and it needs to be done fast and done so powerful that those protesters, rioters, insurrectionists, whatever label you want to put on them, are so overwhelmed by the size of the force stood against them, that they don't bother fighting. That would be the best outcome in this current situation. The best thing would, would have been for it not to have happened at all, and for this whole movement not to have gained any momentum. But if the president is going to do it, it's got to be done big. Go big or go home. And the bigger it is, the bigger the, the response the more overwhelming the force, the more chance it, it, that there is that the, the, the loss of life and the bloodshed can be kept to a minimum. Thank you both for your time today. Marty, quick plug here since since we're uh, it's now or never. Marty, you and I have started with uh, with social media. We are not on Facebook. We are not on Twitter. We're not on Instagram or any of those places. We're not welcome there. And so we've joined one of the platforms out there that's an offshoot of what would be almost considered Twitter. It's the same thing. We're on Parler. 
Anybody is welcome to uh, follow us on there. Uh, essentially, it's like I said, essentially, it's Twitter. And we tweet out, you know, randomly throughout the day, our thoughts, our takes, our comments on things. And you're welcome to follow us on there. Myself, you can follow me on there. I'm at Anderson 3 And Marty, you're welcome to uh, to give out yours as well for people to follow you. Yeah. Um, tell you what, you know what mine is better than I do. Why don't you give it out? It's Marty Foster. <laughs> I can't remember if there's numbers involved. No, nope, there's no numbers. It's just at Marty Foster. Uh, those, are, those are the two. At Marty Foster. And, um, yeah, we've been doing this for a while now. How, how long have we doing, been, we've been doing this, the, the podcast? Honestly, we're a few weeks away from a year now. Yeah, yep. we're getting close to a year. And the only person um, who tends to get the feedback uh, most of the time is Johnny. And I'd love to see some feedback. I'm, that, I'm not narcissistic. I just want to improve what I do. So, um, yeah, please follow us. Please comment and give us your feedback. We would really welcome it. Thank you. And we will be happy to read those comments and that feedback out here on air and pay credibility to those that do uh, put it forward. We're happy to do so. And yeah. I'm sure you're happy to, to do so. Well. Give, Johnny. Give, give credit to not pay because they want money now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. Thank you both for your time today. Really appreciate it. Bye, guys. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.